Well, good morning. Uh, it is so good to see all of you here in the room. And for those of you that are joining us online, so glad that we can all be together. And what an awesome time of just being able to celebrate those baptisms this morning. Um, I mean, yeah, let's actually... <laughs> that, just thinking about how God continually moves in our lives, in the lives of those around us, in our church, in churches throughout the city, and all around the world. I mean, it's just something that we need to pause and just praise Him about, and just getting a chance to kind of be a part of that this morning here as a church family. What an awesome time. Um, so, my name is Jordan. Um, if, you're, if you're newer to Eastridge and, uh, and you're, you're wondering who I am, that's who I am. My name is Jordan. I'm the director of community life here, and I have the privilege of closing out our series on the prophet of Elijah today. Um, so, uh, this series has, has been a lot of fun. I always love it when we get the chance to kind of dive into some of these Old Testament characters, uh, because the reality is, man, you just don't know exactly what you're going to get. There's some wild rides that go on. There's some incredible ways that God displays His power. And, uh, and there are men and women throughout the Old Testament that respond in incredible ways and, and just, and just uh, stunning circumstances. I mean, thinking about this time period in Israel, when Elijah was the prophet, uh, this was not a great time for the Israelite people. They had turned away from God, and Elijah was put into this position where God had called him, and he was going forward under what God's direction was, and he was calling God's people back, repentance, calling them back to, to, to recognize who the true God is, and there's just these incredible stories that come out of that, and it's just such a joy to be able to do that. So, this is our final sermon in this series, and just to piggyback a little bit, actually, before I go into that, let's, uh, we're, our verses for this morning are going to be in 2 Kings, so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and start opening up to 2 Kings. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. So go ahead, start making your way there, and uh, as you're on your way there, if your Bible's got one of those cool little uh, ribbon bookmarks, um, as you go past, or as you get to 2 Kings, you're going to go through 1 Kings, put that little, uh, that little ribbon bookmarker in 1 Kings 19, because we're going to spend a little bit of time there as well. So as you go by 1 Kings 19, drop that ribbon bookmarker in there, and then continue on. We're going to be in 2 Kings 2, 13, and 14. Um, so, uh, just to kind of piggyback a little bit off of what Christian had said last week, he talked about how uh, verses 1 through 12 in chapter 2 are really kind of like this wild season finale, and we're picking up on verses 13 and 14. So, if you've got those, I'm, I just want to kind of dive in and read those right now, and then... Um, and, and then we'll kind of dive into a little bit more of the context. So here we go. Verses 13 and 14. Uh, of course, I left mine in 1 Kings 19. Here we go. Second uh, Kings 2, verses 13 and 14. This is where we pick up. It says, And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord? the God of Elijah. And when he had struck the water, 
the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. So those are our two verses for today. And some of you are probably thinking, wait, hold on a minute, what is, what, we're kind of like right in the middle of something, I'm a little bit confused. Well, let's back up a little bit, and as I mentioned earlier, kind of that, that analogy of the season finale, we've had this incredible season finale, at the end of this, Elijah and Elisha are walking together, and then this flaming chariot comes in with these flaming horses, scoops Elijah up, off they go, up to heaven, and Elisha cries out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and then tears his clothes in mourning. So that's the credits start to roll, and you're thinking, what a, what a cliffhanger here. And then these two verses kind of act as, for those of you that are fans of Marvel movies, you see that they always put like a teaser or some kind of little snippet right there, either mid-credits, mid at the end of the credits, and this is what we've got here. The story continues. It's not over. Elisha moves on, continues on, takes steps forward. Now, these two verses, I believe, really give us a beautiful picture into God's heart for us and the way that He looks to work, the way that His work will be accomplished, but in the way that He invites us to be a part of that work. He doesn't force it, because that's not the type of God that we serve. He extends an invitation. The way is clear. The invitation is extended. But what will the response be? So we're going to get a chance to kind of dive into those. But before... Uh, we, before we start to unpack those verses specifically, we need to get a little bit more context because I'd said this was going to be about, we're finishing up on Elijah here, but we've got another character, Elisha, and that just makes it confusing because now we've got two guys and their names sound really similar. Um, I, I think you guys are going to be able to track with me though, uh, but it's, it's going to be, it's going to, I want to make sure you've either got your Bibles there in front of you or, or you're following up on the screen. So let's take a look Back, I'd mentioned kind of putting those, those ribbon bookmarkers in 1 Kings 19. So if you did that, go ahead, flip open to 1 Kings 19. We're going to look at when Elisha first comes on the scene, all right? So this is Elisha. Now, to give some context, Elijah, this prophet that in the context we just looked at was taken up by the chariots of fire and the horses of fire, he has just come off of what I would say is the most um, incredible moment in his ministry, and that is he comes up against 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah in this showdown on Mount Carmel, and God shows up in an incredible way, highlighting to everyone present who the real God is, and Elijah is thinking, this is going to happen, Father. 
repentance is going to happen. The nation of Israel is going to turn back from its ways, from its worshiping of Baal. How could they not see? And I'm sure he's thrilled. But then he gets a message from the queen that says, I'm going to kill you. What you did to the prophets of Baal, I am going to do to you. And that glimmer of repentance that Elijah started to see disappears. He turns, flees, over the course of a few days, finds himself in the desert, miles and miles away from where he was before, and says, gets to a point where he says, Father, take my life. I'm no better than my, than my fathers before me. I thought this was going to work. I thought the people were going to turn back, but they didn't. And I failed, is what he's thinking. He knows that God is going to continue on. He's not worried about that, but he sees himself, I failed. And he thinks that he's alone. He's gone from this high, high to this low. I want to pause for a second. What about us? There are, the, there are those times where we feel like we are all alone. I know everyone in this room has felt that. But God shows up in this passage here to Elijah when he's like that. And God will show up in our lives when we cry out to him, when we feel that we are alone. God will show up, cry out to him if that's where you are. But God shows up in a very personal way, starts tending to him, caring for him. God, at the beginning, doesn't even say a word. He shows up with food, with water, caring for his physical needs, recognizing the exhaustion that Elijah has. And then we get to a point where God starts to actually talk with him, right? And Elijah's saying, look, God, I'm all by myself. There's nobody else here. It's just me. And God says, no, that's a lie. That's a lie. If you think to yourself, I'm all alone in this, that's a lie. God starts to show his plan to Elijah. Talks about there's 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. There's a remnant within Israel that is true to me. You're going to be going and you're going to be anointing some kings. There's authority that is passed on to you because of who I am and you are my representative. But then on top of that, there is this another man named Elisha who will come alongside you and will succeed you. You feel like you need to shoulder this burden all by yourself? Well, you don't need to do that. This is how I'm moving. And Elisha comes onto the scene. So, let's take a look. Verses uh, 19, so we're 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to start verses 19 and read through 21 um, in some chunks here. So, here we go. 19. So, Elisha... Um, so God has just spoken to Elijah, and it says, so, El so he departed, so Elijah departed from there, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. 
and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. I love this. You've just got, you know, Elisha's just kind of minding his own business. It's, an, it's, it's a regular day on the farm for him. He's, from what we see here, it says there's 12 yoke of oxen. That is a sign of significant wealth during this time. So Elisha is somebody who comes from a farming family, significant amount of wealth, stability that's there. And he's just doing what he does every day. It's a Tuesday. He's out in the field, plowing with the oxen, getting his hands dirty. And then here comes Elijah, puts his cloak on him, and just keeps on rolling. (laughs) Out of the blue. (laughs) I mean, there's no way in the world that Elisha expected this. I mean, it's like somebody going about their, 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 regular, their regular job, their regular day, and then suddenly a CEO of a, of a Fortune 500 company, so somebody comes by and says, you know what, you're, the next, you're going to be the next CEO. What? I, I don't, I, I, I've heard of you um, because, uh, you know, I've got the internet, but, uh, and I've been able to track some of your career, but what, I have no, what, okay, but let's take a look. How does Elisha respond to this? Verse 20, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And I love this response from Elijah here. This is not lost on him. Boom, the cloak falls on him. What? Oh, immediately runs after Elijah and says, hey, okay, Look, let me just go say my goodbyes, and, and then I'll come back and follow you. As I was initially reading this, I thought to myself, well, okay, is, this, is there some hesitation that's going on here for, for Elisha? Is there some hesitation here? I mean, there's, there's a passage in Luke where it talks about, you know, if somebody puts their hand to the plow but looks back, kind of feels torn, that they're not fit to kind of work and move forward in that way. Is that what we're looking at here? Well, the answer to that is no. Because Elisha isn't saying that he's torn between these two things. What he tells Elijah is, look, I'm going to go back and cut ties with my family. Cut ties to what, is, to, to what my identity was before. Son of a farmer, a farmer myself, one that works the land in this way. I'm cutting ties with that. And Elijah's response says, go back again, for what have I done to you? Sounds, the way that they translate that's a little bit confusing. But in essence, what he's saying is, it's not me, it's not, I'm not the one that called you to this. God's the one that called you to this. So go back again. But it's, it, for, for what have I done to you? It's not me that's calling you, God is calling you. Instilling again that sense. But this isn't something that Elijah dreamed up. This isn't something that Elisha is just hoping for. God is calling him to this. And then we further see his response here, where verse 21, it says, And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So he cuts ties with that identity, but then he goes and even takes it one step further. What was providing for him, what was his means to provide for himself, his family, 
slays the oxen, uses, uses his equipment to build a, build a fire. Let's have a big barbecue. Let's have a celebration. God has called me into this, into this uncharted, unknown. I'm, he knows who Elijah is without a doubt, but from what he has seen, Elijah is all over the place. What is happening? I'm not sure, but God is clearly moving Elijah around, but it's not. It's anything but predictable. He goes from this place of wealth and security and says, yes, I will respond. And I want to make sure we see these qualities of Elisha here. They're highlighted right there at the last sentence of this verse. It says, then he rose, went after Elijah, and assisted him. He gets up. He goes, and he helps. These are some qualities that we see in Elisha. And they're qualities that God is looking for with all of us when He calls us as well. Get up, go, and help. Now, they seem really simple, but I'm sure, like myself, this past year and more has highlighted just how difficult it can be to even just get up sometimes. Sometimes it's just difficult to just get up. But these are the qualities that God's looking for in us. And we'll be able to see how these are qualities that God grows in us as well. But then not just to get up and stand there. No, 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 no. Get up and go. Start taking steps forward. Moving in a direction. Moving where you feel God is compelling you to go. And then finally, to help. Get your hands in there. Be invested. Be committed. These are these qualities that Elisha shows here. But then we know that Elijah and Elisha are now in this close relationship with each other. Elijah knows that Elisha is going to be following after him. And what we get to see is, and I'll just touch on it a little bit here, is this, this legacy of discipleship that begins to form here as Elijah and Elisha start to start together on this path, right? And this is something I want to make sure we don't miss as well, because oftentimes we'll see a word like discipleship and we think that's something that's for far away or that's something for, this, for somebody else. But the reality is, is that if you are here in this room today, there is a legacy of discipleship that has brought you to this place. There is somebody in your life who has spoken the gospel to you. There's somebody in your life that has encouraged you and challenged you, a family member, a friend, coworker, whatever it might be, somebody that has done that to the point where you are now here in church. This is not a mistake. And then on top of that, the next step, whether we recognize it or not, others are looking to us as examples of how to take steps in the right direction as well. It's not something that just 
stops with us. And I, 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 get, I get a first-hand glimpse of this, actually, on a regular basis. Uh, my wife and I have three young boys, and our oldest boy, Owen, is six years old, and he's just starting to get in his mind this realization, hey, these other guys, they look to me for what to do, right? He starts to see that. But, you know, so you start to see how these things are connected. I get to see this kind of cascading effect as, as Owen does something that my other son, Elliot, who's the middle son, never knew could possibly be done as far as a jump from here to there or whatever it is. And now Elliot's like, that can be done. I can do it. I'll try it. I probably won't succeed, but (laughs) I'll try it, right? And so there's this legacy of discipleship that is getting passed on as Elijah and Elisha or as I should say, as Elisha begins to follow Elijah around and assist him. So that brings us now, let's, let's jump back to our original two verses here, and we'll unpack those a little bit more together. Verses 13 and 14. So I'll read 13 again. It says, And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. So keep in mind, and this often will happen in discipling relationships, there may be one person that's a a few steps ahead of somebody else in their relationship with God, right? But now we're at a point where Elisha is on his own. And in some ways, he kind of finds himself in a... And because he's alone, it's in a similar sense of what Elijah was before when Elijah was crying out to God saying that he was alone. And God provided Elisha and showed him what was to come ahead. But now Elijah and Elisha have spent all that time together. And Elijah has just been taken up. And that phrase, actually I want to touch on that phrase a little bit where he calls out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. When I first read that, I was like, I am really confused. Why did he just say that? And a little, so a little bit of Bible trivia here. When Elisha cries out like that, uh, well, I'll put it this way. Chariots and horsemen were like the peak military technology at that time. So a nation would be able to get a sense of how powerful it was, its strength, by how many chariots and horsemen they had. And so when Elisha calls Elijah the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, he is recognizing that Elijah was actually the true barometer of that power. It didn't have to do with military might. I mean, we saw throughout the the different sermons, how Elijah would do these incredible things through God's authority. And that is what we're looking at here. He calls them, he calls that, he calls Elijah that, and recognizing that he is the measure of power based off what God's presence is in his life. So, that's what we're looking at. But now, that larger-than-life character is gone. And I'm sure Elijah, after, you know, it says he tore his clothes into, a sign of mourning, tore his cloak into, and he's looking down, and what does he see? He sees that cloak. 
that cloak that had been thrown on him years ago. And I'm sure it begins to bring to mind all of those times that he was with Elijah, the times they spent together, the, the, the incredible things that he saw Elijah do. And there's that personal component to it, a presence that's there. And so what I would say is God's personal presence gives us courage because without doubt, Elisha now finds himself alone and what do I do now? It's just me. I was following Elijah this whole day. He was, he was the one that kind of hurt. He was the one that was going ahead. He, he, he knew what to do. But now here I am. And seeing that cloak, recognizing the personal connection that's there, the personal presence. I know one of the ways that this really plays itself out in my life as I think about God's personal presence is actually the way that other believers interact with me and speak truth in my life. There's a, uh, there's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, uh, a German pastor that was um, killed just right after World War II um, in a concentration camp. Um, he has a book called Life Together, and he has a phrase in that book that really puzzled me for quite a while as I read it, because I thought, I don't, I, I'm wrestling with this. The phrase is this, the Christ in one's own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of another Christian. And I remember kind of struggling with that, going, what? I don't, uh, how is that, how does that work, the, the Christ in my own heart? But as I've been a believer, I've seen this to be true because there are without doubt times, and I'm sure you've experienced this, when your own heart begins to doubt, and you start thinking, no, and you start to wrestle, and, you, and, you're, and you're going back and forth, but then somebody that knows you will speak the truth to you, gospel truth to you, and it will break that up. And in that same way, God's presence gets shared in those ways. So let's take a look now. Um, Verse 14, so he's standing on the bank. Verse 14 says this, Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. (laughs) So he's picked up this cloak. He takes it, strikes the water, as he's seen Elijah do before him, he starts to fall in his footsteps, strikes the water, calls out, but in an interesting way says, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He calls out as if this God, this Yahweh, isn't his own God in a way. But, we see that there's kind of this dynamic playing itself out where he has seen God working in Elijah's life, but there's this process, and this is something that all of us as believers go through. God, at one point in our lives, is the God that somebody else is telling us about. He's not really our our God yet. We're still working that out. But then eventually it comes a point where we 
need to decide. Are we going to take ownership of our faith? Are we going to recognize God as our God, not just God, the God that my mom and dad tell me about, God that my friend told me about, God that I heard about, um, you know, when I was younger, when I was at church the other day. And what does God do? He shows up to Elijah in power, and I have no doubt that that power gives him strength as well. As God shows up, he strikes the water, the water gets pushed back, God shows up in power in a miraculous way there, and it gives Elisha the courage and the strength to move forward, knowing what? Knowing that he is not alone. He's not left alone here. So, as I was preparing this message, one of the things that kept coming into my mind was the way that I, I love this image of Elijah, or sorry, Elisha standing at the bank of the Jordan. There were so many important moments in Israel's history that happened along this river. With Joshua crossing over um, in a very similar way as the waters recede back, and God saying, come through, this is the land that I promised to you. We see the, the, the River Jordan is where, you know, Jesus was baptized, where John the Baptist had his ministry, but there's just so many significant things that have gone on here, but this isn't something that is history or something that's going to be coming up in the future. This is actually right now, and Elisha himself finds himself in this position, and he's standing at the banks of the Jordan, and he's, he believes himself he's on his own. And what is he going to decide to do? One thing that I want to make sure that we camp on for a little bit is the fact that it may seem like these are uncharted waters that Elisha is entering into here, but the reality is, is that these waters aren't truly uncharted at all. Because the first thing is, is that God himself has gone before us. In fact, there is a beautiful, beautiful psalm, uh, Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, that just highlights this as David talks about this. So I just want to read that first right now, where he says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This reality that God knows us so deeply, knows us so well. Before we were even formed, he knew us. And then the days of our lives, he knows them as well. God has gone before us. God has gone before Elisha, and he goes before us as well. Second, Jesus has made the way. I mean, you can't, he stated it so clearly in verse, uh, John, verses four, or John 14, verses 6, where he says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Jesus has made that way possible. So if there's any one thing as the band comes walking out, if there's any one thing that I want to make sure to leave with you today is this. There are going to be times in your life when you are standing at the bank of the Jordan. There likely have already been times in your life. But there will be more that come. Where you know that God is compelling you. Compelling you towards something. And you may think to yourself, I'm all alone in this. I don't know where I'm going. Remember, God's personal presence has gone before and can give you courage. Cry out to Him. Reach out to Him. And God's power that He showed us through His Son to conquer death has revealed the way for us to step forward knowing that who we follow, our Father, loves us. bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you meet us where we are. We feel as though we're standing in uncharted waters, not knowing what comes ahead not knowing what's on the other side. But Father, you know. You show us here with Elijah and Elisha how you work with your people. How you allow us to respond. So Father, I pray that you would give us the courage, give us the strength, to be able to take those steps forward when you compel us, Father. Jesus, all of this is possible only because of you and what you've done on the cross. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.